0: Hello, welcome to Driverless. I'm your host, Zach Adams. On today's episode, Todd Northman and Raven Taylor join me to discuss Lyft's upcoming IPO, what the initial public offering process for these companies traditionally looks like, and what Ford Closing Chariot and Waymo Expanding Waymo One Services means for the future of ride-hailing services. As always, you can follow us at at underscore driverless on Twitter and reach out to us at driverless at Let's get rolling to today's episode of Driverless. Todd and Raven, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Zach. We're really looking forward to being a part of this.
0: Yeah, thanks for having us, Zach. So today I want to talk a little bit about one of the upcoming IPOs in the autonomous vehicle space. And you may have heard of it. It's a little company called Lyft uh, that, obviously is very involved with the ride-sharing services offered. And one of the things that I think is notable about Lyft is that they're coming to market after hosting uh, huge losses last year to the tune of over $900 million. So on the heels of that, they have decided that it's time for initial public offering. And Todd, I was hoping before we kind of dive into this, you could give us kind of an overview of what the IPO process looks like, and maybe some
2: of the parts that Lyft is going to be progressing through as they get ready for this initial public offering. Absolutely, Zach. Uh, Really, let's set the context and recognize that 2019 is expected to be the year of the unicorn IPO, by which I mean companies that are are privately held at this point who have a valuation of more than a billion dollars, and they have been holding off going public. The last big public IPO was really 2017, where we had someone drop. And 2018, people rumored to go, but didn't go forward. So that's sort of by way of background. And what you have is Lyft being the first significant IPO in 2019. And there's a sense, and I think for Lyft, this is certainly true, that they're racing the market. As we've had the volatility in 2018, in the fourth quarter, there was some thought that maybe these IPOs wouldn't come. And now... We've seen a couple different filings, foremost among them lift, and they're going to try to go public on Friday when they list on the NASDAQ. So in terms of process, what we had were rumors started in late summer that Lyft was going to was readying its documentation to go public. Then they filed a confidential statement, a registration statement with the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, in December two thousand eighteen. That had essentially the equivalent information to what an annual report for an already trading, publicly traded company in it. And then in February 2019, they went ahead and filed their S-1, which is effectively the kickoff document for that public filing. After that got filed, they started what's known as the Roadshow, which is really a dog and pony show, trying to build support. They do that in concert with the underwriters, and they really have a team of underwriters here. And that the underwriter role is the responsibility for managing the sale of the shares. So they commit to purchasing. And right now, here this week, with the anticipated going public at the end of this week, they're doing what's known as pricing. That is to see how much investors are going to be willing to pay for their shares. And the good news for Lyft is they're coming in at the top end of their range. They had priced it anywhere from $62 to $68 per share was their hope. That would have netted them anywhere from $20 billion to $25 billion in valuation. They're actually hoping to raise about $2 billion of cash to use operationally. And then also for their current investor stock to liquidate some of their shares and realize some profit. So by way of process, that's where we're at. This is the week where they are going out. They've already done the road shows. They've gotten a lot of enthusiasm, I think in part, because they've really teed this up perfectly. Being the first of the unicorns to go out in 2019 means there's a lot of enthusiasm, even though, as you indicate, they are not profitable. But, and this is sort of the last point, and I'll give you back the microphone, Zach. That's not unusual. 80% of the IPOs in 2018 were of companies that were not making profit. And of the tech sector, it's over 90%. Some of that is the sort of bio farm companies that are not anticipating to really make a profit. They're raising funds for their research. But fundamentally, this is not unique. We have reached this stage where companies, similar to what happened, and this is going to sound scary, with the internet bubble, but we're at the high point in terms of companies going public who are not making money.
0: Todd, that's really well put. And I think something, and maybe this is a little topical for our listeners, but I just watched the Theranos documentary uh, this past weekend uh, you know, about Elizabeth Holmes and kind of that company and this idea that there is somewhat of a mantra in Silicon Valley of fake it until you make it. Keep you know, the runway as long as possible. Keep promising and delivering until you actually can. And the difference with Lyft, I think, from a company like Theranos is Lyft has already shown that they have the technology to do what they want to do, in part. They're not quite to the point of having fully autonomous drivers, but we already know that they're deploying some fleets of these vehicles around here that don't need a driver to operate. And they've already shown a test case for, or a use case, rather, for how they'll fit into the future of mobility and what kind of role they can play in ride hailing services and things like that. Uh, But like you said, they haven't been profitable. And I think that's one of the points that's really worth noting here is that you're seeing this massive valuation. Like you said, they're even coming in on the high end of their projection despite not showing profitability yet. Uh, and, and that's become something that we're actually more and more accustomed to seeing. But before we kind of dig in further, Raven, I'm wondering why do you think that Lyft is the first kind of IPO in the space of ride sharing, ride hailing services. Uh, what makes them interesting to you as apart from other services?
1: Lyft is interesting for a myriad of reasons, especially when it comes to some of the other unicorns and the other ride hailing services. Uh, to me, Lyft is progressive. They have always wanted to position themselves as a leader in the industry, and that is really what makes them competitive. You know, it seems natural to me that Lyft has beat some of the other unicorns to the IPO race. Uh, Lyft might not have been the first or even the most valuable ride-sharing company that we all know and love, but Lyft is known for being forward and really wanting to establish themselves as a force. So it seems expected that Lyft was eager to be a pioneer in the IPO space for the other unicorn companies.
0: What about you, Ty? What do you think separates Lyft from the other or the other ride hailing uh, companies in this space and why they want to be first to the IPO stage?
2: Well, they're the pure play. They operate primarily, almost exclusively in the United States. They've got a footprint that's substantial so they can certainly pound the table. They reached more than a billion rides offered but and I think this is really critical to the timing, besides, you know, sort of the macroeconomic factors. But they've also been able to demonstrate quarter after quarter after quarter this extraordinary increase in number of active writers. And it's really not a hockey stick, but it is very consistent, impressive growth. And I think that's where Lyft really has an interesting niche here because they've hit this timing perfectly. In 2014, there was some talk, their valuation was lower than a billion dollars. And there was some talk that they may not make it because they were running out of cash. And since then, they've been on an absolute tear where their valuation sort of trends the same way their riders are. They keep bringing in more revenue. They actually doubled their revenue in 2014. 18 from 2019, from 1.6 billion to 2.16 billion in 2018. And I guess to me, if I'm really Zimmer and Logan, uh, that's when I would try to time this. Logan Green is while I can still do that because you can't continue to grow at that pace. So why not get in now where you've demonstrated? as a growth company this phenomenal track record of growth that's what they're selling that's the valuation to answer the question you asked me last time that's why people are willing to invest in this is the growth story they've increased their market share from 22 percent in i believe it was 2016 to about 39 percent of the u.s market that's gonna stop pretty soon so i think it's perfect timing it, makes sense to go now where the market conditions look pretty good. And you've really shown as much as you possibly could of your growth story.
1: Yeah. And and Todd, just to speak to that growth story, I think that that's a really interesting thing to highlight. And as I've mentioned, I do not think that ride sharing services are going anywhere. I know speaking for myself, uh, living in California all my life and being a Silicon Valley native, myself and most of my friends take either Lyft or another ride-sharing service to work almost every day. Uh, And I have a lot of friends who are stopping to drive their cars or selling their cars and only using these ride-sharing services. I think that it can only continue to grow upward, and I think that we need to definitely keep our eye on Lyft and these other ride-sharing companies. Also, I think that that's what adds a lot of value to these ride-sharing companies is their business model. It makes a lot of sense because they don't actually classify their drivers as employees. They're technically independent contractors, so they save a lot of money by paying these independent contractors as they work, rather than putting them on a salary. While this is very valuable and it really is attractive to the IPO process and to people trying to invest in them from a growth standpoint, it also can create a potential risk. I know this week we are seeing drivers threaten to strike They're actually threatening a 24-hour strike here in Los Angeles where drivers of major ride-sharing companies are threatening to strike because there has been a significant pay cut and drivers are making less money per ride than they were before. It's something that we definitely need to keep an eye on in terms of where this strike goes and whether or not the drivers will at some point be considered something other than independent contractors.
0: And you know, Raven, it's funny. I mean, that presupposes there'll still be drivers, right? You think they're striking now. Imagine what they're going to be doing in the future whenever Lyft says we're actually, we don't need drivers anymore. And that's, I think, where the play is, where this is headed. One of the things that right. makes Lyft so interesting is not only are they are debuting the technology that obsolete, you know, makes their drivers obsolete, they've already also shown the initiative and the effort to get into the micromobility space. I mean, they have scooters now similar to the Lime scooters or the Bird scooters. Uh, they're trying all kinds of different things. And it's, it's interesting to note that there are those strikes going on in California today. But what's going to happen in a couple of years whenever it's we don't care if you're striking because we don't really want you anymore. Thank you for your service. Thanks for helping us build this platform. Thanks for giving us this great um, database and uh, user base. But we're kind of ready to go in a different direction. And that direction doesn't include you. Uh, So it will be interesting to see how they move from there.
1: Precisely. And I think that that's something that is worth noting. Absolutely. And uh, just speaking from the self-driving standpoint, we've already seen Lyft really take initiative to make steps towards being a service that offers self-driving platforms. I know in Las Vegas, they've already rolled out services where people can hail rides from a self-driving standpoint. And they are said to start launching that in other cities as well, depending on the success of the Las Vegas program.
0: And it'll be interesting to kind of monitor how they deal with that and their IPO at the same time, because obviously you don't want to roll out that technology and take a chance at any kind of PR nightmares or negative publicity at a time, whenever you're really trying to open up as Todd said at the high end of your valuation. But one of the things I want to get into, and Tommy, if you could shed some light on this, what should we be watching for in the time leading up to this Friday with the IPO from Lyft and then kind of the time shortly thereafter.
2: Well, I think that's where Raven spoke very well about this strike, because it's that sort of adverse news that we need to pay attention for in this week, because this is really the critical point where you can, from time to time, see news that hits that really shakes investor confidence. And if you shake investor confidence, then you shake the underwriter confidence, and your IPO pricing could come down. So you've got that prior to the Friday listing, and let's just assume that they go live as they've scheduled on NASDAQ Friday morning, that Friday then becomes a bit of a party and you get that IPO pop. So I would fully expect where you're seeing such aggressive oversubscription, and I've heard rumors of you know being wildly oversubscribed, which means that more people want to buy the shares from underwriters than there are shares available. Because to footnote this, we only have about, I'd say less than 10% of the shares that will be held post IPO are actually going to be available to people to buy who aren't part of the investor group. So you've got this pent up demand and frequently that's where a lot of the initial money is made is the people who get in on the IPO buy at that even the top end of the range and then maybe sell at you know just to hypothesize 75 bucks if they bought at 68 it's a really nice profit if you've held the shares for three hours i mean i can't even (laughs) do the math as to what that return is on an annual basis but so you've got that friday pop but then the shares will settle down and we'll start to watch where they trade the week following the month following and that's been a subject of an awful lot of sort of analysis is this idea that there have been some disappointments. I don't expect that to happen here because until we've got some other IPOs out there, they've done a great job of positioning themselves as really the first in the game.
0: it will be interesting to see. The pop will be kind of fun at the beginning whenever we're watching on Friday afternoon is that share price keeps going up and up, but seeing where they come in maybe a week from Friday is more telling of what their future holds. Before we kind of transition, Is there anything else you guys want to really get out there about this Lyft IPO that we haven't covered already?
2: Um, One thing that I wanted to jump in on is to look at their current investor base, because they've got some interesting names there that people maybe haven't heard. And I've been surprised kind of watching the news to see. And while there have been some news stories about this, they're not reaching the general distribution news stories. And that's the second largest shareholder in Lyft is GM. They have almost 8%, .8 7.8% stake here. And if that valuation comes in around $25 billion, as it's now expected to, their shares would be worth $1.27 billion. So there's a lot of question. What should GM do with this? Should they sell their shares? They bought in 2016, I believe, for $500 million. That looks pretty good. Nice profit, well more than 100% return in a a two-and-a-half-year period. So you've got GM that owns shares, also Fidelity. I would expect they're going to hold these. Rakuten is an Asian investor, I believe Japanese, that has the largest stake in Lyft, which is 13%. But then as we go down the chart, another name you don't hear about, but you should, Alphabet has a 5.3% stake in Lyft. I fully expect they're going to hold that. But given that Waymo is one of their real competitors here, interesting.
0: Todd, you set up a... uh a great pivot to Waymo before we get to that. I also think it's worth highlighting with GM. They also have GM cruise, right? So to your point of being able to sell out at a high point and show some good return on an investment, uh, it also might be telling of what they think of their own technology, what they think of their own ride sharing service, uh, which is GM cruise. Do they think that that is far enough along where they can kind of get rid of their position in Lyft and just focus fully on making that a direct competitor? Or do they want to keep straddling events like they have and like Alphabet has?
2: Certainly something to watch out for.
0: And so you, you mentioned uh, Alphabet. Let's, let's pivot now to, to Waymo because they made some news this week and they are going to be expanding their position and their services offered in that greater Phoenix area. They want almost double the capacity that they're doing now. And again, that's through Waymo One, which is their ride sharing service. Now, you contrast that with Ford shutting down their own. Ride sharing might be too strong. It's more of a shuttle service, but nonetheless, a car sharing service called Chariot. It's interesting to note that you kind of have Ford lessening their position in this field while Alphabet through Waymo is expanding their position. what do, Raiden, what do you make of this contrast?
1: I mean, it could be attributed to a number of things. Ford, for generations, has been a leader in the vehicle space. And for all of us, we've known that Ford is, tends to be innovative and them stepping into the AV space was them trying to show that we are a major powerhouse in the vehicle industry and we're not going to bow out just because there's going to be self-driving cars. So I was a little bit surprised to see them shut chariot down and that could be due to a number of reasons. Perhaps they're gearing up another program that they think will be more successful or maybe they're just wanting to stay more in their lane of the traditional ride space. On the other end, I think that it's expected that Waymo is expanding in the Arizona area. I think that they've seen a number, great number of success and they wanna to continue to grow based on the momentum that they've seen. And like I said earlier, I really don't think that ride sharing services are going anywhere. They're saying that there could be up to a 90% reduction in accidents, which could save up to 86 lives per day in the United States if there's a new fleet of self-driving cars. So I think it's just going to depend on consumer popularity and whether or not people are willing to put their lives in the hands of an completely automated services. And I think that's really what is going to either drive or tank this trend.
0: And Todd, what did you, what did you think?
1: Well, the lesson I
2: draw from Ford, Shutter, and Chariot is that this is really hard. This space. It is hard to run. You're right that it was not strictly speaking ride hailing that it was involved in, but it was in this niche where you had an app that you could use to call. And so, whether it's a shuttle or a car, I don't know that that really matters. I think the lesson from that is wow, this is going to be hard. So, that's why I love sort of looking at that. And I don't discourage, I think. Raven actually hit it right which is Ford just is trying to figure out how they're going to make money here. And that really is the lesson we keep coming back to that. But that's what I take from all of this is the question we need to ask in all of these initiatives is how are we going to make money? That's what Waymo is really looking at as they start to expand in the footprint is everyone out there is trying to deal with an environment in which they are seeing a lot less car, private car ownership. So the slice of the pie that they're going to be able to realize a profit from gets redistributed. Waymo makes an awful lot of sense because they've got all these partnerships with different auto manufacturers, Chrysler for instance, that sort of thing. And their focus is making money on the IP. And so it makes sense that Waymo is gonna keep trying to expand that, see what they can learn, do it very deliberately. And so kudos to them. It'll be interesting to see where they go after Scottsdale.
0: Todd, I, obviously we know Raven's position uh, on, on ride hailing services is this is the future. It's, it's no brainer, it makes a ton of sense. And, and I tend to agree with her. Do you still feel that way, Todd? Or do you think there is a space for um, maybe hesitancy in just Kind of this bold embrace of all these ride-hailing services?
2: That's a very interesting question to me because it is sure hard to see that that transition is going to happen in the next 10 years. I fully believe given the price of autonomous vehicles and the fact that they're not going to be coming down to an affordable level anytime soon, that the only way that the public in the United States, let's forget about the rest of the world, because this will be even more so outside North America. But really, to the extent that someone's going to have an autonomous vehicle, they're going to have to ride share. Even if I realize my dream and own the car and then put it to work while I'm here at work, that's still going to be a ride sharing model, because where you're looking at a capital cost that's equivalent to a family home, maybe not where you're at Raven in LA, but certainly here in Northeast Ohio, I'm going to need to do something other than have it sit unused 95% of the time. So I do think ride hailing in some form is what we're going to see just because of the cost of that with the safety benefits that Raven identifies. But I don't think it's going to be nearly as quick as a lot of folks would like to see it happen.
1: Todd, I completely agree. And to kind of give some support to what you just said as well. It's interesting because a lot of millennials, just like we're cutting the cord on our cable boxes, and considering those items luxuries, people are also considering owning a car a luxury. Last year, nearly 6 million Americans sold their cars and switched exclusively to ride sharing. And it's expected that 6 million more will do that this year. So I really think it's gonna be interesting to continue watching this unfold and to see where the automotive industry is going to be in the next 10, 15 years. Yeah,
0: I think that's right. It will be interesting to see where we go from here. And I don't think Ford shutting down Chariot is indicative of what that space as a whole is going to be doing. Todd and Raven, anything to say before we get on out of here?
2: No, really interesting discussion, Zach.
1: I agree, thank you for having me.
2: All right, take care.